0: Uh, So as we begin our time together today, uh, if you'd allow me to, I'd like to take a look at uh, this one word. Word is credit. Like, look at that word, credit. Credit is something that's offered or extended based on one's past performance. One way to look at it is it's what, what happens At the end of a movie, when the last scene has completed, Uh, many of you that watch movies know that after that last scene, the credits begin to roll. And what purpose that serves is that it recognizes those that played a part in the production of the movie. Credits are offered. Then another way to look at this word is it is the premise behind our credit reporting and scoring system. Each one of us, and I'm sure most of you know this and are aware of this, if you don't, then we need to get together after service today so we can have a little talk. Uh, But each one of us has a file which is kept by each of the three credit reporting agencies. Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. They've got a record on you. Amen. These files are reports. They are reports that serve uh, as a record of our past performance in meeting our financial obligations. Lenders use these records to determine whether or not to extend credit and also determine how much they will charge in interest for the credit that they extend. They use these reports because it's been proven over time that unless something drastic happens or there's a drastic change, past performance is a pretty good indicator of how you'll do going forward. I have been on both sides, the bad and the good. And let me just pause right here and say the good side is a whole lot better than the bad side. <laughs> it's so, life is so much easier. Martha, living on the good side of the credit game. <laughs> uh, it, it, I, was, I, was, I was in the car business for a few years, uh, both as a salesman and as a manager. And in the car business, there were two terms that we used for people who came in looking for or contacted us looking to buy a vehicle. Some people were bullets, some people were bogues. Anybody here ever been in the car business? Good, then this, this is new to you then. You don't know these terms, right? Some people were bullets. Some people were bogues. That's, that's the, that's the so, so since you've never been in the car business, you've never heard that. Those are the words they use when they're talking about you behind your back. You, you, you're going to fit more than likely in one of those two categories, but you'll never hear it. It's the joke that goes on behind the scenes. If you were bullets, it meant that you had excellent credit. If you were a bogue, on the other hand, it meant that you had terrible credit. Uh, the experience for the bullets was a lot better than the experience for the bows. In fact, the bullets carried themselves different because they knew they were bullets. Some of y'all are bullets, and you know what I'm talking about. You don't, you don't take any trash off the salesman. You know what you want. You know you can buy it. And your experience is different from the bows Because of their past ex- performance, their past experiences, their past performance with handling their obligations, there was no doubt for the Bullets, uh, no fear, no worry as to whether or not they would be approved for the loan. Uh, it was all about for them, and it still is, all about getting the absolute best deal that they could get. No concern about anything else. But for the Bogue, though, because of poor past performance, the issue was always can you get me approved? <laughs> can you, you know, just do what you can. <laughs> not, not a pleasant experience, neither for, by the way, for the customer or for the salesperson, because that's the worst thing that you want to happen to you as a salesperson is for someone to come in who can't buy anything, but they would like to. Uh, But it's because of the poor past performance. The vehicle choices for that person are limited. There's only certain vehicles that they would qualify to purchase. The down payment is always a lot higher. For that person. The interest rate for that person is always sky high. Because of the the requirements, we call them steps. Means that you got to go round up all kind of paperwork, page stubs, and proof of address and proof of references, and all you got to get all the requirements together. It's outrageous the things that you have to do. Requirements. Two different scenarios based on trustworthiness based on your past performance here's the question can I trust you to do the right thing if I simply look at what you've done in the past can I trust you to do the right thing does your history give me confidence to place my faith in you your history history means something uh, does that give me the confidence that I need to place my faith in you? Today, today, I'd like to talk about God's trustworthiness. As we're dealing with the attributes of God, I, I, I want to discuss today God's trustworthiness. We serve a God, by the way, who is certainly not abode. He is bullets. His past performance is impeccable. It's perfect. It's excellent. A perfect credit score, by the way, is 850. And there are very few people who ever achieve that score. And for the few people who are, who are able to achieve and, and reach that lofty, Score. It's very difficult to maintain it for various reasons. I mean, you may not even do anything wrong, but it's hard to stay that high. It's hard uh, to maintain it. But God has a perfect record, and he has maintained his perfect background, his perfect history, his perfect past performance record throughout all of history. He is worthy of our trust. That's the reason why I have felt and read Psalm 113 this morning. Because in Psalm 113 it says, From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he is worthy to be praised. He has a perfect record. He's worthy. He's worthy of our complete and total faith. Because at least in my case, he's never failed me. Never failed. Over and over again in Scripture, we are reminded of the same thing. In Habakkuk 2 and 4, in Romans 1.17, in Galatians 3.11, in Hebrews 10.38, the Bible remind us that, reminds us that the just shall live by faith. Those of us who are believers have been justified and who have been justified by the blood of the lamb and our lives should be marked by the faith in the one who has a perfect record, the just. Those of us who have been born again, those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, those of us who are believers dedicated and sold out to Jesus Christ, our lives should be marked by our complete faith and total trust in the one who is bullets. It was the great philosopher William James who said, faith is one of the forces by which men live. Faith, my brothers and sisters, is an ever-present force in the universe. For instance, riding an elevator. For the believer and the non-believer requires faith. Faith is present, by the way, in believers and non-believers. A certain degree of faith is, is, is in the life of even those that don't believe. Because it takes faith to get on an elevator, push a button, and believe that it's going to transport you to the place that corresponds to the button you push. So then, the non-believer, when they enter an elevator, they place all of their faith on the mechanical apparatus. Faith is required for that. Uh, boarding an airplane. For the believer and the non-believer. Somebody say, can't do it. <laughs> it's going to be hard for you to drive to Japan. So. St- <laughs> You got to get on. (laughs) But for the believer and the non-believer, it requires a measure of faith. For the non-believer, that person places complete and total faith in the airplane and the pilot. Right? You don't know what they did last night. You don't know if they're a drug abuser, if they're having marital problems, if they got enough sleep, if they're a gambler, if they're a mass murderer. You don't know what's going on with that person. You just, if you're a non believer, see, it's different for the believer. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, We just flew 14 hours to Japan, and I'm going to tell you my faith wasn't in the pilot. At least not not the one in the cockpit. I've got a pilot. But for the non-believer, they must place all of their faith in the person or the machine when flying. Uh, let me, here's another one, ordering food at a restaurant. I don't want to mess up anybody's lunch plans for the day, but it requires faith. For the non-believer, they have to place complete and total faith that the cook behind the door in the kitchen is doing what they're supposed to do. And not doing anything extra. Hello somebody. I don't want to mess up your lunch plans, but let me just give you this warning: Be nice and kind to your servers. <laughs> because because you, you you know, you don't know what's happening. right? So for the non-believer, they must place complete and total faith and trust in what's happening behind closed doors. Everybody has faith. The difference though, the difference between the believer and the non-believer is not the presence of faith, but rather it is the object of our faith. Uh, Our faith has to be in God. Uh, It's okay to trust the pilot, but don't put all your faith in the pilot. It's okay to trust the cook. Don't put all your faith in the cook. It's okay to trust the elevator when you get on it, but don't put all of your faith because all of those things will and can and have in the past failed. So I would prefer, this is just me talking. You can do what you want to do, but I would prefer to put all of my faith in the one who's never failed because even if the plane goes down, and I, this is what I was praying, ain't eh, Joe, on the way to Japan and back. Even if it goes down, I know where I'm going. It's going to be okay. The, the non believer doesn't have that benefit, so, so the, the, the presence of faith is always there. Who do you place it in? Why is genuine, strong faith in God important? Why is that important? Because in life, Difficult times are sure to come. God does not tempt us, but sometimes he will test us to develop our faith. I know y'all wondering when I'm going to read. We're getting to the Bible. I know you think he's just telling stories today. No, we're going somewhere with this, right? Uh, It's important for us. Uh, Hillary already gave it away, but we're going to that place. It's important for us. It's okay. It's all right, Hillary. You're all right. We're good. Me and you are Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's important. It's important to have complete and total faith in God because life is filled, the songwriter says, with swift transitions. And you need a God who you can trust when those transitions of life happen and so we must place our complete and total faith in God. Uh, A faith that can't be tested somebody said is a faith that can't be trusted faith let me say it again a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted do you have the kind of faith that can stand the test false faith withers in times of trial if your faith is false and a trial comes you won't be able to make it uh What should true faith or trust in God look like? Do we have examples of what that looks like? I believe we do. I believe we have a lot of examples in Scripture. And today I'd like to call on three friends from Scripture to help with that question. Three friends by the name of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I know some of y'all are saying those folks are different than the ones Hillary. <laughs> those are some different people. I'm, I'm a, i like to call on those three friends to help us to understand and see what true faith looks like. You may not readily recognize them by their Hebrew names, but you might better recognize them by the names that Hillary gave you this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are first introduced to them in Daniel chapter 1. But in Daniel chapter 3 is where they gain their prominence and notoriety. We'll land in chapter 3 today, but before we get there, please allow me to share a little background to set the stage. Daniel chapter 1, we're not going to read it, I'm just going to kind of recap it for you. Daniel chapter 1 records that in 605 B.C., during the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, as judgment for disobedience, God allows King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to besiege Jerusalem. In the process, many of God's people were taken captive and brought back to Babylon, part of this group. Of captives were four young boys who had been handpicked to be brainwashed so that they could serve in the king's palace. Uh, Their names would be changed Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They changed their names to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll talk more about the names and the meanings of those names later. They were offered and refused the king's meat and wine in chapter 1 because they didn't want to forfeit their Hebrew identity. You have to be careful, by the way, of identity theft. It doesn't just happen with your credit file, with your banking information. It can also happen with your identity in Christ. You have to be careful not to allow the enemy to rob you of your identity. And King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was trying his best to brainwash and rob these four Hebrew boys of their God-given identity. You have to be careful. They refused to eat the king's meat and to drink the king's wine because they didn't want to forfeit their identity. Uh, And so they said, no, give us just vegetables and water for 10 days and see how we do. Gave them vegetables and water for 10 days. And after 10 days, Martha, they looked better than the ones that were eating meat and drinking wine. They were in better shape than the ones that were doing that. And they were astonished. King and his court were astonished at what happens with Daniel and the the three Hebrew boys. Then we make our way to chapter 2 and chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. The dream that he has troubles him and he can't sleep at night because he's troubled by these dreams and this dream that he continues to have. He can't sleep so he calls the magicians, the astrologers, the soothsayers and all the Chaldeans together and he he says to them, I need some help. I'm having dreams and I can't sleep. I need you to not only interpret my dream." But also tell me what the dream was. Now he threw him a curveball with that because they were used to him saying, Would you just interpret my dreams? And if he would say that, they'd just come up with anything. They could trick him, they could lie to him, but the king said, No, you're not getting away with that this time. Not only do I want you to interpret, tell me what I dreamt. Is that a word? Okay. <laughs> they say, King, live forever. Live forever. But you must be crazy. No man on earth is able to do what you've asked us to do. So the king says, well, you got a choice. You can either do what I said do or I'm killing everybody. All the wise men in Babylon will be killed if none of you guys can tell me what I dreamt and then interpret my dream. Daniel and the Hebrew boys get wind of this uh, decree that the king makes because they were in the group of wise men. Daniel says, oh no, hold on, wait a minute, we're not going to let that happen. So they go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to give them wisdom to be able to do what the king has asked to for somebody to do. And so Daniel gets an opportunity, goes to the king. He said, I can do what you've told, what you've asked to do. I I can tell you what you dreamt, and I can interpret it for you because my God has given me the power to be able to do this. So the king gives him a chance, and sure enough, Daniel tells him exactly what he dreamed or dreamt. Not only that, but he interprets the dream for him. The king is so impressed. That he promotes Daniel and the three Hebrew boys in the province of Babylon. He elevates them to a new status. He's impressed with that. He's impressed, but he's not persuaded. Uh, I know it's the case because we see it happen in chapter, because of how chapter 3 opens. We know because of how chapter 3 opens that he was Impressed with what Daniel did, but he was not persuaded. It's here in chapter 3, as we've made it here now. uh, Chapter 3, we see faith in the face of fire. And we see what true faith looks like. It's in chapter 3, all throughout chapter 3. We're going to take it step by step. We'll start in the first seven verses. Uh, In the first seven verses, I believe this is what we're going to see. I believe we're going to see true faith confronts the challenge. Look at what it says in verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it if you'll read with me uh, on your own. In, in, in the first seven verses, we'll see that there is a challenge because of the king's pride. Look at, look at it. It says this. King Nebuchadnezzar obey. Now watch this. This is right after the end of chapter 2. He's impressed. Watch what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's nine, 90 feet tall. And its breast, six cubits. That's nine feet wide. Ninety feet, by the way, is as tall as a nine-story building. Uh, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This was a challenge for Daniel and the Hebrew boy. Now, I don't know if history says that Daniel may not even have even been present. But we know that the Hebrew boys were there. It was a challenge for them. They had already overcome being brainwashed. They had already committed and dedicated their lives and sold themselves out to following God and worshiping him no matter what. So this, just like last week's message, presented a challenge. Last week we looked at Daniel and how he was challenged not to pray. And he prayed anyway, even with the threat of the lion's den. now we find the three boys who are challenged with the threat of either you bow down and worship this image or you'll be cast into the fiery furnace. In life, you will be faced with challenges. Your challenge may be different than mine. It may be different than the Hebrew boys. I doubt that any of you will face the threat of a fiery furnace. But... There's some fiery trials in life that all of us will have to face. Their challenge was Nebuchadnezzar's pride. He was prideful, although he seemed to have swallowed his pride momentarily at the end of chapter 2. Until he immediately his pride immediately resurfaces in the first verse of chapter 3. Because at the end of chapter 2, he is praising, in a sense... Daniel's God because of what Daniel did he gives Daniel's God glory and praise he promotes Daniel and his friends to a higher level in the kingdom he's excited and then I don't know how much time elapses between chapter 2 and chapter 3 but immediately after this excitement and him seemingly swallowing his pride he builds a golden image He was, and and, and watch this, so you have to be careful of this. You have to be careful of not simply and only being impressed with God. Right? It's one thing but Sam to be impressed with how God does things. Right? It's a totally different situation to be persuaded completely that he is the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, and the King of all kings. Because when you're persuaded, you don't change your mind. King Nebuchadnezzar is impressed, but he changes his mind. We know he does because he builds this golden image. Not only does he build it, he says to everybody, you got to bow down to this. I know about Daniel's God and all. I know what I just said, but look, Daniel interpreted my dream. And in my dream, he was talking about this big golden and brass and wood image. And that gave me an idea. <laughs> I'm going to build one. As a monument to myself, that people from miles around, from miles and miles, as they're traveling through the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon, from miles away, they can see this giant, 90 foot tall golden image. And when they see it and they hear the music, they better bow down and worship. It was a challenge. But true faith doesn't run from the challenge. True faith confronts the challenge. True faith doesn't try to avoid the challenge. True faith uh, acknowledges it, stands up to it, and holds steady, holds their ground. And that's what the Hebrew boys do. Uh, he challenges. The challenge is to do it or be cast in the in the fiery furnace. But but here's another thing. True faith does not only does true faith confront the challenge. True faith also causes you, the one who has the true faith, to stand out in the crowd. You'll stand out if you have true faith in God. You'll stand out and stick out like a sore thumb. Because your faith will cause you to be different than everybody else. There's evidence of it in verse 12. Watch what happens in verse 12. In verse 12 it says, there are uh, the ones that, remember last week we talked about Daniel's haters? Haters? Daniel's enemies, the ones that were jealous of Daniel and tried to find a reason uh, to have him punished. Well, the Hebrew boys have some of the same kind of haters, some of the same enemies. They are jealous of the fact that the king has promoted them to such levels, and they're not even Babylonian. They're jealous, so they try to find a reason that they would be punished. And so in verse 12, these three Hebrew boys that have true faith— Stick out like a sore thumb because they're not doing what everybody else is doing. So look at what happens in verse 12. There are, they say, certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They say to the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. Listen, when you have true faith, you do those kinds of things. You pay no attention to false gods. You know what false gods, gods are? They're not just images. They're not just 90-foot-tall images on the plains of Dura. You know what false gods are? False gods are some of those things that we give more uh, attention to than we give to God. False gods can be your bank account. False gods can be your even your family members. False god, gods can be your career, your job. False gods can be the car you drive, the clothes you wear. False gods today can be anything and we have to be careful not to be distracted by false gods. So they say, these men pay no attention to you. That, 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 that's what I want my testimony to be. That's what I want people to say about me. I want to stand out so much that people say, uh, he pays no attention to the enemy. He pays no attention to things that are not, uh, that, that God is not concerned with, right? He says, so, so they say, he, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This was an anomaly. This was not the norm. Everybody else, there, there, there's no record of how many people were gathered, but it was likely thousands gathered to worship and to bow down when the music played. And here you have, in the midst of thousands, ain't Joe, you've got three Hebrew boys, and not even Babylonians, who've been given a direct order, a decree. And in the midst of sea, a sea of thousands bowing down at the sound of this music, here they are standing strong, standing out. True faith will cause you to look different than everybody else. They say, they won't bow down to you. They won't bow down to these gods. That's what they were committed to doing. True faith will lead you to do that. There ought to be something different about you as a believer. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2 and 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And Those things should make us stand out. Chaldeans said, King, these boys are different. (laughs) They're different than everybody else. Being different is not always a bad thing. I know oftentimes because of popularity, especially for the younger folks, you know I done got so old, I don't care what you think about me. (laughs) But I can remember a time, brother Sam, when I used to care what folks thought about me. Now I know I preached last week, you gotta make a good impression, and that's fine, you can do that, but still, you don't get consumed with other with what other people think about you. And let me just say to the young folks and the older folks, it's okay to be different. Stand out in the crowd. March to the beat of a different drummer. Blaze a trail sometime. Now, don't always go in the trail that everybody else is going. Blaze a trail every now and then. They say, King, these boys are different. They're not marching to the right beat. They stood out in the crowd. But true faith not only does that, true faith also confesses the Lord. Verses 16 through 18 helps us to see it. True faith. I love this part. Look, watch, look, watch what happens in 16 through 18. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, as they have, watched this, they've been thrown into the fire now. Um, no, they're getting ready to be, right? And so the king tells them this is getting ready to happen. You didn't bow down. This is getting ready to happen. Look at their response. I love this. This, is, this should be our response. Look at what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this matter because he has mocked them saying, oh, we, who, what God will come and deliver you and save you now? Because right now I've heated up the furnace seven times hotter and you're getting ready to be cast in. What, where is your God? What, what's he going to do now? So they say to him, They don't even, they say there's no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you're going to throw us in, our God, whom we serve, you got to stop right there. And you got to soak that in because they are employed by the king, but they serve the God, the true God. They are working in the palace, but they're serving their God. I need to say that again for some of you don't understand that you may, you may do things in life to make a living, but really we, we are called to serve our God. They said that the God we serve is able to, I should have stopped right there too. I'm just abandoning my notes and I know y'all think if he's abandoning his notes, it's going to be a while. <laughs> I promise you I'm going to wrap it up in a minute. Watch this. He said, the God that we serve, you got to stop and soak that in. All of us are called to serve, no matter what's happening in our life. He said, but watch what he said. He is able. Oh, that's good. He's, He's able even to overcome a fiery furnace that's been heated up seven times hotter. He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But now, so watch this, now... I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up my English a little bit here, but y'all bear with me. It gets gooder. It gets gooder. Because in 18, watch this. There's that there, there's a butt there, and this butt is there because the, the Hebrew boys say he's able, but I gotta holler right there, y'all. I'm sorry. Because all of us have experienced some of these times in our lives where there's a but when it didn't seem like God showed up when we wanted him to watch what they say before they even get thrown in but if not be it known to you O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up no matter what happens we have enough trust in a trustworthy god who has an impeccable past performance record that even if he don't show up even if the plane goes down even if the food is poisoned, even if the elevator fails even if whatever happens even if a, if a, if a, if a what do they call it an asteroid falls on this building right now that's kind of faith y'all laughing but it could happen Even if he does not show up, I or we are not going to bow down to these little G gods. Our God has a big G. And that's who we serve. Even if not, then that's what happens. And so then, true faith confesses the Lord they confess the Lord is our God and that's who we serve but then lastly I want to show you that true faith also confirms the promises of God true faith confirms the promises of God and we see it happen right here in the fiery furnace 24 and 25 24 and 25 uh say this let's read it I want to read it Twenty-four, twenty-five. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, "Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? Somebody out there ought to get happy right in here. I mean, you should, you should feel something moving right in here, because you know what's coming. All of us know this story from Sunday school." <laughs> When we were growing up, so you know what's coming next. Even if it wasn't on the screen, you know what's getting ready to happen, don't you? He says, now, now, hold on a minute. Didn't we throw three in the fire? Then answered and then they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, okay, well then, hold up. Something ain't right. Because I see four men. And not only do I see four men, but they are walking around unbound in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt in the appearance of the fourth. Somebody ought to stand up right in here. It's like the son of God. Now, now, watch this. He wasn't referring to Jesus, but this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. He didn't know what he was saying, but it was Jesus in the fire. He didn't know that he was, he was making that declaration, but he was. He said he looks like the son of God with a little G. What he didn't know was, was that it was the son of God with a big G walking around in the fire. True faith confirms the promises of God. What promises am I referring to? Well, there's a lot of them, but I want to give you two. Uh, that, that was confirmation of these promises. Isaiah 43 says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This was a confirmation of that promise. And then later in the New Testament, Paul makes a promise. Paul says this. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Confirmation of the promises of God that he has made to the people of God. Here's a question. What was in the Hebrew boys' background that caused them to trust God so much? What what, what was it that, that was in their story? that led them to to, to sacrifice the, the threat of being burned in a fiery furnace to trust in an almighty God. What was it? Well, just like Timothy, it had been instilled in them by their parents as evidenced by their given names. I told you I was going to explain later. Let's talk about it real quick. It was put in them. So we have to be careful, not just what we name our kids, but what we call them. Be careful with calling them stupid, dumb, lazy, you know, because that can be a a self-fulfilling prophecy. Their parents wanted them to have great faith in an all-powerful God, so they named them accordingly. Hananiah means God is gracious. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun God. Mishael's name, God-given name means God is without equal. Uh, Meshach, which his name was changed to, means belonging to the Babylonian god, Aku. Azariah, his God-given name, means the Lord is my helper. Abednego, which his name was changed to, means worshiper of the Babylonian god, Nego. So their parents named them in a way that would fulfill itself later in life, that they would have this great faith on the inside of them that says, I'm not bowing down to any God but my God. This story is just one illustration of why God is credit worthy. Everyone out there should have and be able to look back on your life for more evidence yourself. You should be able to rewind your own tape and see how God has moved in your life and that you can look back and see that his past performance Is impeccable, but just in case you need further proof, allow me to suggest some people for you to talk to. And then I'm gonna sit down. Ask David about Goliath, ask Noah about the ark in the flood, ask Samson about a temple filled with Philistines, ask Moses about 40 years in the wilderness. Ask Joshua about Jericho. Ask Abraham what happened when he was called to sacrifice and offer up Isaac. Ask Joseph about the pit, the prison, and the palace. Ask Elijah about a brook, a raven, and a widow's dead son. Ask Mary about virgins having children. Ask Paul about a Pharisee preaching the gospel. Ask a dying thief about a saving Lord. Then finally, ask Jesus himself about nails, a cross, and a tomb. If you need any evidence of God's past performance outside of yourself, you can ask them and the Hebrew boys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how good you are. Thank you, Lord, you've never failed. Thank you, Lord.